I, um, I have had this thought for a while now, and it's been growing in me, but I'm, and I, I don't know why I'm ashamed of it, because I shouldn't be ashamed of it. When I say it to you, you're going to be like, yeah, what's wrong with him? That's, that's a good thought, but um, I am a little bit, but um, I'm ready to go to heaven. I, I, I mean that in the, the sense of, I'm done with this place. <laughs> I'm ready to go to heaven. I, I get frustrated a lot. And probably more frustrated in the recent years than I've ever gotten. And it just feels like the escape route is going to heaven. I remember, the reason I say about being ashamed of that is I remember being a, a, a young person, a teenager, in church just like this one, sitting and listening to preaching just like this. And I remember hearing that thinking, I don't mind going to heaven, but I ain't ready to go right now. I mean, I got stuff I want to do. But right now, if they pulled up a bus and said that bus is going to heaven, I'd say, let me get the front of the line. I might actually elbow a few of y'all to get there because I'm ready to go. I'm frustrated with stuff that's going on. When I look around, I, I sort of say, I, I don't know how, how things are going to unfold. I don't know how things are going to happen. I don't know what, what the next big thing is going to I don't know what's next, as they say, what's the next shoe that's going to drop. And I get worried about that stuff. I wish I didn't. <laughs> I'd like to think I, I've got it all, I'm calm and copacetic, but I'm not. I, I want it all, I, I just want it all to go away, and I want to go to heaven. That's what I want. That's what I want. I'm worried about stuff. I'm upset about things. I'm mad about some stuff. I could go on and just tell you how messed up this head is. I know it's pretty and all, but it's messed up. It's messed up. And... As I sit there and think about that, I say, I want to go to heaven. Well, I think, at least I hope, and I'm going to guide you here if you're not there. I'm going to guide you to this thought. I hope the next thought that you have is, well, if you want to go to heaven and you want to enjoy that, you're not there yet, and short of doing something drastic, which I'm not going to do, I'm not interested in doing, I'm not going to get to heaven until the Lord takes me there. So how in the world can I enjoy what, what is heaven? How can I enjoy that now? Because I'm here. God's going to take me when it's his time, right? You know he's, he's in control of all that. So in the meantime, I'm here, and I actually believe that I am on this earth for a purpose. I remember I uh, uh, was pastoring in Greensboro at a church called McConnell Road Baptist, and there was a, a dear old saint there, uh, uh, Mrs. Waterston, and, Mrs. Waterston, and she, on her last days, uh, she was feeble. She, she wanted to go to church so bad, but she couldn't get out to go to church. So I'd, me and one of the deacons would go by and try to see her. And I mean, I remember that the last days of her life, she was in a, an assisted care facility. She had been at home all this time. And like the last week of her life, she was in this facility that she was there, couldn't, could barely breathe to make a voice. And she would say to me, I'm here for a purpose. God's got something for me and I want to do it. And it convicted me because I'm sitting there, you know, not half doing what I ought to be doing. And here's this dear lady, can't even breathe. And she's making out, listen, God's got me. I'm still alive. And of course, weeks, not even a week or two later, she passed. But we're here for a reason. So we've got to do something with this time here. And I want to be in heaven. There's some things about heaven that are attractive to me. So I think the best thought that I can have, if that's really my thought, and if, can I just, can I take a quick poll of the audience? Anybody ready to go to heaven tonight? Amen. All right. And by the way, I, I, I am not getting a bus load up tonight, but if we would, you know, we, I'll, I'll let you know if I find out about it. But if y'all are ready to go to heaven, then the next thought should be, well, what's going on in heaven? What is it about heaven that I could actually enjoy right here, right now? You see? Because we're, we're here. I also believe you know, the book of Revelation sometimes is a scary book to some people. And as a preacher, it's kind of scary to me because I want to get it right if I'm going to ever open this passage of Scripture. And it's a little complicated in some spots. 
But I don't believe that God gives us his word for no reason. I think he's not giving it to us, especially things about the future, which I believe Revelation is one of those books. It's about the future. It's something that hasn't happened yet. It's prophecy. He's not giving that to us so that we can sit back and like some kind of uh, crazy person in a room trying to figure out what's going to happen. No, he's giving it to us to live a life on this earth for a reason. And he's giving us his revealed scripture so we can do something with it. So what is, what is, and one of the things I think he's going to show here in, in chapter 5, I'm going to be in chapter 5, Revelation, he's going to give us a picture of heaven, and I want you to read that with me, with that picture of heaven in mind to say, what's going on in heaven so that I'm not going there yet, I'm on my way, but I'm not there yet, how can I enjoy some heaven on earth? So let me glean some stuff from that. Are you with me, what I'm doing there? We just want to get a little bit of heaven on earth, so we're going to look in Revelation 5 to get, get a picture of that. This is one of those chapters, it is one of my top five, top three, let's be honest, it's my second favorite. My first favorite is Romans chapter 8. I love Romans chapter 8, this is my second favorite chapter in the Bible, Revelation chapter 5. I'm going to read the whole thing. Can y'all do that? Can y'all handle that? I'd like to ask you to stand with me if you're able to. If you're not able to, totally understand, but if you are, we're just going to read this, out of, stand out of reverence for the reading of the Lord's words. This is uh, chapter 5, we'll read all the way down to verse 14, but I'll begin in verse 1. This is John, John the Revelator, the one that God gave us a vision to. He's speaking, and we see the word I, that's who's talking there. He says, and I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof and no man in heaven nor in earth neither under the earth was able to open the book neither to look thereon and I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and every tongue and people and nation. And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beast and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature, look at that, every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the sea and as such as are in them, such as are in them heard I saying blessing 
and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Praise the Lord for the reading of his word. Y'all can be seated. As we read this, we want to know what's going on in heaven. The opening scene, though, there's some trouble in paradise. Did you catch that? There's trouble in paradise. There's somebody that's seated on this throne holding a book, and everybody in the whole heaven, they are worried about this. Now, I think we need to just go through this and make sure we understand what's going on here. First of all, we see in verse 1, the right hand of him that's set on the throne, a book. There's a book and somebody that's sitting on the throne. Who is this that's seated on the throne? Now, y'all can do the studies and cross-references and all that all you want to. I'll just tell you, if you go back to chapter 4, it is the Father. God the Father is the one that's seated on the throne. He's got this book in his hand. What's this book? There's all kinds of speculation. You can read all kinds of commentaries and all this sort of thing. But ultimately, as you'll see later on as the book of Revelation unfolds, this book gets opened and future events start being revealed as this book is opened. So we can know for sure it is the details of the judgments that are to become. It is likely, this is my speculation here, but I think it is likely the prophecies that people like Daniel. If you go back to Daniel and God told Daniel some, revela- or some, excuse me, some prophecies that he wrote down and he tells him at one point, you can just go ahead and close that book up. We don't need to let people know about that one just yet. I happen to believe that's probably what's going on here. That's the book. But nonetheless, we know for a fact that it's in this book is future events, stuff that is not yet happened, and all of heaven wants to understand what that is, because in verse 2, this angel asks, who's worthy to open this book? Who can even open it? Talks about even looking at the book. Who is even able to open it up? Who can know what's about to happen? Who can know these things? And nobody, nobody but nobody knows these things. So I want you to understand that here's heaven, as perfect as heaven is, as wonderful as heaven is. If we're looking at this right now, do you know what they don't have? They have no knowledge about what's to come. They don't know what's about to happen. And they're worried about it. They want to know. In fact, this angel says, is there anybody? And nobody was able to be found in verse 3. And then in verse 4, we see John is weeping. And I believe that all of heaven probably was weeping along with him because there's nobody that can do this. Now, let me just ask you this. If heaven doesn't know the future, where does that leave me and you? (laughs) I guarantee you they have a better clue about the future than I do, and they don't know the future. I'm sitting here worried about... Can I just tell you, I mean, y'all may be worried about different stuff, but I'm worried about inflation. How much more can I pay for groceries? I'm worried about those war that's right now in Ukraine. Is it going to spill over? I mean, I worry about those people, yes, but let me just be honest. I'm a little selfish. I don't want it to spill over here. I don't want my young children, young men and women to have to go into battle. I'm worried about those kinds of things. Is that going to happen? I'm worried about political corruption in this country. I'm worried about sickness. I know that at the, at the church at Ellisburg there, there's, we have a whole long list. I'm sure you do too here. A long list of people have cancer. Long list of people that are dealing with physical ailments. One, one of the things that I'm worried about, and it's by comparison to all that, it's such a small thing at the end of the day. But my dad is T.J. Tilly, and he has macular degeneration. And y'all, some of y'all know what that is. Basically, your eyesight's kind of going away. 
And to treat it, he goes in, I think it's once a month, is that right, about once a month, and gets an injection put in his eye. My, he has it, his sister has it, his brother has it, and I'm sitting there thinking, that's my, four, that's my predecessors. I'm probably, and I got, I've got these glasses, if you ever come up real close to me, I got, it's like Coke bottles on my eyes right now, you can, I can, about that thick for these lenses. So I'm sitting there worried, I'm going to get this. Is this going to happen? I asked my doctor the last time I went, I was like, what do I need to do to protect myself from this? I'm worried about it. You know why I'm worried about it? Because I don't know if it's going to come. And even the doctor says, it could happen, it couldn't happen. And when it does, there's nothing we can do about it. All we can do is try to prevent it when it does happen. When it happens, there ain't much we can do. And I'm sitting here worried about it. I'm telling you, I don't know the future, so I'm worried about the future. Am I by myself on that? Or some of y'all worried about the future too? Can y'all confess your sins this evening? Okay, there's at least one or two of y'all that are like that. I, that's, that, that upsets us. I want to know how my children are going to, how they're going to end up, how my grandchildren, who are not here yet, how they're going to end up. How, what's the world going to look like this? What are our churches going to look like? What is my job going to, I mean, I could go on and on and on. Nobody knows how it's going to turn out. That's a comforting thought, isn't it? Ain't a soul that knows how it's going to turn out. And as I look to heaven, I'm not seeing a whole lot of hope there either. They don't know what, if I go to heaven, I'm not going to have any more information about how the future is going to unfold. But you know, here's where, the, here's where the instructive part comes in. Here's heaven. They can't find the answer. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't know, have anybody that can open that book and tell them what's in there. So what do they do? Well, there's an angel that shows up, rather one of the elders that shows up in verse 5. And he says to John, he says, weep not. Behold, look at here, John. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. He says, listen, all of heaven, we don't know what's about to happen, but we know the one who knows what's about to happen. And we know he's in control. They are looking to the one who's in control, the source and the ground of all truth. He is the lion. He is of the tribe of Judah. He is the one who has seven horns, it says there in verse 6. The fact that he is in control, those horns represent his power. He's got seven horns, perfect power. He's got, he's the, he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is absolutely in control. He is not only in control, but he is eternal. If you go down there in verse 6, he talks about that he's got seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. He's got seven eyes and seven spirits, and he is, he is eternal and always and everywhere present. He is looking everywhere. There is nowhere in this world that God is not aware of what is going on. He is absolutely, there's nowhere that he doesn't know what's going on. There is no time that he doesn't know what's going on. Let me just kind of think about this for a moment, this idea of time that we're all constrained by, that we're all thinking about what's about to happen. I'm worried about what just happened. I'm in the middle of what's going on. That's our world. God is outside of that. He created time. Time began at a point because God said start. It will end at a point because God says stop. He knows all of that. That is under his control. He is in control of those things. He is always and everywhere present. And not only is he in control, and not only does he know everything all the time, he is eternal and he's outside of our time, he is worthy and able. And look at what he does there in, um, I think it's, let me, I lost my place here, but I believe, oh, it's verse 7. Here's, here's Jesus. It's talking about Jesus. He came and he took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon, sat upon the throne. 
I know that's just a sentence, and if you're just reading it, you're not paying attention to it. But do y'all hear the picture? I mean, here's all of heaven saying, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? What's going to happen? Who can open this book? And here Jesus, he just strides up to the Father, and he says, thank you, I'll take that. There's a boldness. There's a confidence. There's an in-controlness. He is saying, I'm not even worried about being worthy. I am worthy. I am able to do this. And he takes control of that, and he hangs on to that. All of that is to simply say that heaven understands this about Jesus. He is the only one who holds the future. He is the only one who has the truth. He is the only one from which to get understanding. That's what heaven knows. Therefore, we need to live like he is what he said he is. John 14, 6. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There is no truth outside of Jesus. There is no hope outside of Jesus. There is no way to live outside of Jesus. That needs to not simply be a doctrine church. I think we believe that. And I would be, I would be surprised if there, weren't people in this, if, there, if there were people in this church that don't believe that. I'd be surprised if you didn't believe that. You understand? I know, I know, what, I know what kind of church y'all are. I know what's preached from this pulpit. I know you believe that. But that's got to be more than a doctrine. It's got to be the way we live our lives. That's what I'm getting at here. We have to do what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. He says, take no thought. Take no thought. Don't worry about it. Quit trying to figure it out. Quit trying to noodle out the answer. Quit trying to, trying to line up the, the chess pieces just so, so you can get everything in order. You're not going to do it. You don't know the future. There is one that does. And even if you knew the future, which you don't, there's only one that controls the future. There's only one that controls the future. My job, instead of worrying about it, instead of trying to sort it all out, I need to go to the one who wrote the book and laid it out for me. And I need to do what he says. I need to obey him, trust him to sort out the details. As the song goes, I don't know about tomorrow, but I know who holds my hand. And the one who holds my hand, he does know about tomorrow. He holds tomorrow. And in in his right hand is my hand. And in his left hand is everything, everything that's about to happen. He's got it in his hand. So if I'm going to have any hope of any kind of heaven on earth, first thing I need to do is I need to be looking to Jesus for my future and for my truth and for my everything that I don't know. All those questions that you have. And if you don't have questions, you're not, you're not thinking. You're not looking around. There's too many things to ask questions. But all those questions you have, have heaven on earth, you have to look to Jesus for those answers. He's got the answers for us. But also, heaven not only is looking to Jesus for their truth, for the answers, for their understanding, but we also see that they're looking to Jesus for other things. I want you to see this in, um, in verse 8. So we got Jesus picking up the book in verse 7 and in verse 8. After he takes the book, when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb. Now we're introduced to two other characters in this story, in this scene. We've got these four beasts and these 24 elders. Do you see that there? These beasts and elders. Now the beasts, it's, a, it's kind of a weird word to call them beasts. Now I think the reason they're called beasts is because they probably look like beasts in some ways. Some aspects of them look like animals, but because they're, they're described in other parts of scripture. But these are likely the cherubim, 
and the seraphim, these are likely angelic beings. They're described in Genesis chapter 3. They're described in Ezekiel chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 6 is the one place where I remember, this most vivid in my mind, where you know that scene in, in the court of heaven where these angels are flying around and with, the, I think it's like six or eight wings. I got the number wrong in my mind, but they cover their eyes and their, and their, their, their legs and all this, their feet and all these other things. So they're very, I say it this way, I know how to say it. They're very strange looking creatures if you really think about them. So it's not surprising that we use the word beast here because they're kind of strange looking in that way. That said, as much as they are strange to try to describe them, they're also, you need to understand that if you go back to Isaiah 6, they are actually purpose-built to be in the presence of God saying, holy, holy, holy. Now, Now, just think about that for just a minute. If I told you that the most perfect entity in the universe, God, had created a being for the sole purpose of worshiping him 24-7, all the time, all the time. What do you think about that being? You think it's stupid? You think it's ugly? Do you think it's demeaning? Do you think it's... No, what do you think? At least I think. I think it's kind of dignified. I think it's kind of amazing. I think it would, when I look at it, it would probably kind of completely just my mind was just go, poof, I have no idea how to compute this. Because this thing that God has created is so perfect and so beautiful. But these things, these beasts, these four beasts are likely angels and they're so angelic and so, so perfect and so holy that when John sees one in Revelation chapter 22, do you know what John's instinct, his immediate instinct is? He starts worshiping this. That's his instinct. He has to be told, no, no, stop, don't worship me. You need to worship Jesus, not me. That's what he's told. But the point of telling you that is simply to say that these guys... I don't know any other way to say it, but they're kind of a big deal. They're kind of a big deal. These four beasts are kind of a big deal. But now we've also got these other people called the four and twenty elders, or the twenty-four elders that are falling down before the Lamb. Uh, the best way I can do this for the sake of time, let me just sort of summarize lots of different views on exactly who these people are. But every view, I think, would converge on one thought, which is that these elders, because that's generally the, the, the role of an elder, even in human societies, is they're representative. They're representatives of the people, representatives of the saints, the people of God, Old Testament and New Testament saints, but they're representative. And even if you don't understand that or agree with that, I can just look at the the same passage in verse 10. These are the elders talking in verse 10. And it says that God has made, or rather Jesus has made them unto our God, kings and priests. So, yeah, I think they're a big deal because they represent a lot of God's people. But if you want to add to that, they're also a big deal because they are actually self-identifying as ruling kings and priests. They are very, very important. And you say, well, Matthew, we get it. They're important. Why, why, are you care? why are you telling me all that? Why do you keep going down that path? you got to understand who these people are because they're very dignified, very amazing VIPs. But they're doing some very undignified things in this passage. I want you to see this. In verse 8, they fall down before the lamb. They're prostrate. They fall down. I don't know if they're laying completely flat on the ground, if they're just on their knees, but nonetheless, they are in a subservient position before the Lamb. They have put themselves in a position that they are saying, I am bowing before the Lamb. I'm bowing before Jesus. They are dignified. They are VIPs. They are very big deals. But what do they do? They submit themselves to the Lamb. That's what they do. These these beasts and these elders. 
And then if you go on there, they are, they're doing this with these harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. They're offering up prayer. And prayer, while there's a lot that we could say about prayer on its own, the one thing about prayer, I think at the root of all prayer, is I'm asking God for something because I can't do it myself. And that's what they're doing. Here's these very important people who would arguably have power, or arguably have position, arguably be able to get some stuff done. They're the people I would call when I need to get something, make something happen. What are they doing? They're offering up prayer to the Lamb. It goes on, if you would go on with me into to verse 9, they say they sing this new song saying, Thou art worthy. Of the, to take the book and to open the seals thereof and then goes on with this song in verses 9 and 10. All of that is simply to say that not only are they prostrate and not only are they praying, but they're also praising. They're lifting up their voices and saying, I have what I have. I am what I am because of what he has done. I, nowhere in there is there any false humility. Oh, I'm nothing. I'm not a big deal. And that's, I'm not hearing that in what they're saying. They, they recognize that they are something. But they're saying, I am something because he made me that, because he provided that to me. They recognize that not only them personally, but all of heaven is nothing apart from Jesus Christ. Nothing apart from him. Apart from him, they recognize, they even say there that, um, that he says there that, that he, they've redeemed, versus verse 9, that God is, or Jesus has redeemed them to God by his blood, by thy blood out of every kindred. He said, they say, listen, if you hadn't died on the cross, Jesus, I know we're a big deal, but we're worthy of condemnation. We recognize that we have no value apart from Jesus, and actually apart from Jesus, not only do we not have any value, we are worthy of wrath. We're worthy of having no position. All of that's to simply try to get across to you that your religion... Your morality, your position as a member of the church, a teacher, whatever position you hold in a church, whatever position you have in the community, thank the Lord you got them, not say anything bad about them. They're nice, they're good, and they can be helpful. But they're meaningless without Jesus. And more to the point, if you don't have Jesus, why even bother with those other things? Why even bother with those other things? You have to understand that you have what you have because of what Jesus has done for you. And when you get to that point where you realize, I am what I am because of Jesus. I have my position in this life because of Jesus. We need to very quickly get prostrate and get praying and get praising. Because we have what we have because of him. And we need to continue to recognize that over and over and over. Now, please understand this. Apart from Jesus, you're nothing. But with Jesus... You're kind of a big deal. I want you to, I'm going to just reference a verse over in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. I'm just going to read it to you. I've written it down. You are, cho you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. God has chosen you out as among his own special possession. 
If you are in Jesus, if Jesus is your Savior, if he's died on the cross for you and you are associated in him, you are found in him, you are something because it says you've done, he's done that so that you could show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You're nothing apart from Jesus, but when you've got Jesus, woo, you're something else. You're special because you're in Jesus. Heaven is not only looking to Jesus for the truth and the future and understanding. They're also looking to Jesus for the very position that they have. They recognize they are what they are because of what Jesus has done and who he is. Heaven's looking to Jesus for their position. Now, as we're going through this, I, I like this chapter partly just because, you know, there's, there's some narrative going on. We know what's happening in heaven. But then they, there's, like a, there's like a worship service that breaks out, a praise service that breaks out. As you, you're reading along there, you've got these elders and beasts that are talking in verses 9 and 10, and they're singing this new song. But then in verse 11, it says, I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne. And it uses this term 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. John was sitting up there. I can imagine him. This is my, this is my imagination, you understand. But I can imagine him starting. There was like, what was it 24 plus 4? We've got 30 people, 28 people. Oh, there's a few more. I'm trying to keep count of them. He's like, ah, oh, give up. I can't do it anymore. 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. There's a whole lot of people here is what he's saying. That's essentially what he's saying. It turns from literally from 24 plus 4 to so many people, John couldn't keep track of them. He goes on and he sees all these billions, and I happen to believe at least in that second part, starting in verse 12, or rather after verse 13, when every creature in the whole universe starts praising him, I happen to believe we're going to be in that number. You all better go ahead and memorize your lines because you're going to need to start singing this one one day. I think it's going to happen. That's my, I believe that's going to happen. But it's the whole universe joins in. I love how this, I'm just, this is a little side note, but I really love this in verse 13 where it says that it's every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea. That feels like it covers it, doesn't it, you? But he adds this, and all that are in them. So all the, all the creatures that are inside other creatures. So he's like, he's covering everything. That's everybody, everywhere is all there. All of the people that are acknowledging this. They're praising Jesus because as Paul writes in Philippians, God highly exalted him, Jesus, and give, gave him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess. That's happening. This is a fulfillment of Philippians chapter 2. It's going to happen. It will happen. But I want you to pay attention to this worship service that's happening here. A lot of times, and, and probably some of this is my, my own background showing through, so forgive me if you don't have the same experience, but a lot of times I equate worship in the vernacular, the way we tend to use the word, I equate it with people getting happy, waving their hands, hooting and hollering, exciting and all that. That's what I tend to equate it with. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that's what I tend to equate it with. But as I'm reading this here, I mean, I think they're lifting their voice. Worthy is the lamb. I think that's happening. But as I read this, this is not entertainment that's going on. There's not mindless hooting and hollering that's going on. What they're doing, can I put it to you in a way that I think y'all understand as Baptists? They're taking up an offering and expecting people to put real money in the plate. That's what's going on here. That's what's happening. I want you to pay attention to what they're doing. They're saying, worthy is the lamb that was slain. This is verse 12. To receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. There's a similar list that's given in verse 13. 
slight variations, but essentially the same list. They are saying, we're going to give to God, we're going to give to Jesus these things. Remember who these people are? They're kind of a big deal. They've got these things, and they're saying, we're going to give these to God. And even if they don't have them, because there are some people, especially in the second part, that are all of the universe is praising these things, these are things that we all want. Can I just go through the list really quickly? Power. That ultimate ability to control how things happen. I sure would. If I had a button to control everything, wouldn't you? I'd, I'd be dangerous. But I would do it, man. I would take it in a heartbeat. The fact is, I want that power, don't you? But what they're saying is, we want that power, but we're going to give that to you, Lord. Riches. The wealth. Not just to say, hey, I've got X amount of money in the bank, but we like to have riches to be able to do what we want to do. That's at least what most people want riches for, to do stuff, to go places, to enjoy things. It's what you want it for. Not just to have a number on your bank account, but to actually be able to do some things. Wealth and riches are, is the wealth that you need to do and own what you want. And what this, these people are saying is saying, listen, that's what I want, God. But Jesus, I'm going to give that to you. You're going to give me what I need. I'm, I'm going to count you as my wealth. They want wisdom. That is taking, and this is what wisdom is, is taking knowledge and applying it in a particular way so that you have a successful outcome. That's all wisdom. That's all wisdom really is. Taking information and using it appropriately so that the outcome is good. That's what I want. I have this really bad personality quirk that... Um, I don't, I, I like, to, like, like everybody to think I know what I'm doing. And I don't want you to ever get a hint that I don't know what I'm doing. To the point, I'll even go way and do all kinds of contortions so you'll never know that I'm not knowing what I'm doing. I will, I'll lie. I'll, I'll hide. I'll, I'll, I'll do all kinds of things. I want to look like I'm the big man and know exactly what I'm doing. And, and, and all of it is, is I want, to, I want to, to know that I'm going to have a good successful outcome, and I don't want you to know that I don't know what the information inputs are to do that, so I'm going to try to sneak around. You see, you see that's, my, that's my little sin. And I think we all want that kind of outcome. Hopefully you're not as messed up as I am on that. But, uh, but nonetheless, we all want that, don't we? Do you want that kind of outcome? We want success. And what heaven, or what heaven is saying is we want that success, but Lord... We're going to give it to you. And whatever happens, it's your will. Not my conniving, not my putting on a good front, but it's you, Lord. You're going to give it to me or not. Strength, might, and force to accomplish things. I like that too, don't you? I like it whenever I tell somebody, I would like to do this to happen, that they do exactly what I want them to do. Or if, I, if they don't do it, that I have the might and the force to force them to do it. Wouldn't you like to have that? Okay, maybe that's just me, but that's fine. I, I maybe, <laughs> good gracious, y'all making me confess all my sins tonight, and ain't nobody with me. Ain't that something? Ain't nobody with me. But that's okay. That's okay. Uh, but the point is, we want that strength to be able to accomplish what we want to accomplish. And what heaven's saying is, Lord, that strength is yours. We're going to give that up. We're going to let you do. Well, you're going to be the one that accomplishes it. We're not going to look for our, our hope here. Honor. Honor. Inherent value as a person. I like what I call mutual respect. I like that kind of relationship 
where I respect you and I treat you with dignity and honor, but you do me the courtesy of doing the same thing. I like that. When I have relationships like that, those are people I like. Occasionally, though, and I've got a few that I could name. I won't do it right now, but I've got a few people in my life right now that I could name that um, that respect goes one way. For some reason, it doesn't come back. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. It makes me mad. It makes me want to lose my religion a little bit. I don't like that. But what heaven is saying is that honor that I feel like I'm valuable and worth that honor, Lord, we'll give that to you. I'm going to do what Jesus said. I'm going to turn the other cheek. <laughs> I'm, going to put, I'm, going to, I'm going to deny myself. It's not about me. Lord, it's about you. You're the one that deserves that honor. Glory, getting other people to praise you and honor you and value you. I'm as much of a ego, I like my, have my ego stroked as much as anybody. I have uh, spent a little time over, as I mentioned, over at Ellisboro Baptist Church, and those people have been really, really kind to me and loved me and been very nice to me. And it was after a bit of time where we had gone through as a family some difficult circumstances, and we'd been hurt, to be honest with you, about some things. And we went over there, and we got loved by people, and it was just, it was a salve to our souls. And I like that. <laughs> I, if you don't like that, there's something wrong with you. I'm just going to tell you, there's something wrong with you. And I like that. I, I like that. I, I like other people looking at me and saying, we love you, and meaning it, you know? I like that. But you know what heaven's doing? They're saying, I like that, but we're going to give that glory to you, God. And if another person never tells me how much they love me or ever appreciates me, I love you more. You get that. And they say blessing. They're giving blessing. We like to have people speak well of us, don't we? I like to have people speak. I like to have people speak well of me. I, I've had some people. Y'all don't know my daddy, I don't guess, but my daddy's T.J. Tilly. And I've had some people, they don't like him. And because they don't like him, they don't like me, even though they never met me. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? My dad's a nice guy. He's a good guy. What's wrong? I don't like that. Heaven is saying, even though I want people to think well of me and to like me, I'm going to give that to God and let him be the one who's the arbiter. All of that is to simply try to get to this point across that these are things that these people had or wanted, wanted to have, or maybe even had in their possession. Maybe they even saw it as their right to have it. And they were saying, I'm going to give this to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the heart of real worship. Warren Wearsby calls it, says it this way, worship is the believer's response of all that they are, their mind, their emotions, their will, their body, giving everything that you are to what God is and says and does. That's what Warren Wearsby, because I love the way he defines that. It ultimately comes down to this. Heaven doesn't just give Jesus a place in their heart. You ever heard people say that? I'm going to give Jesus a spot in my heart, a place in my heart. Or you ever had that idea? You get a little spot over here. Jesus doesn't get just a spot in heaven's heart. You know what they get? They give him everything. They literally give it all to him. Jesus deserves mind, body, and will, and they give it all to him. 
Jesus actually says in Mark chapter 8 and verse 34 that he says if you're going to follow after him, and this is not just about going to heaven, this is about actually enjoying the walk of the Christian life, being with him. If you're going to follow after him, do you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to get to the place where you say, it's not about me, I'm okay if I get a less stuff and I have a tarnished reputation, I don't care because I'm giving that up. I might even, as he says, you may have to Take up your cross. I'm willing to lose the very life that I have, the breath that I breathe. If you get to that place, then you're actually following Jesus. And when you follow after Jesus, you're doing what heaven's doing, and you're looking to him for what you see as valuable. Are you seeing that? That the value that heaven sees, they say that we're rich. Why? Because we gave it all to Jesus, and we've got Jesus. That's what they're saying. As Paul says, what things I, that were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. I really think that heaven is a wonderful place. I'm really looking forward to heaven. More so now than ever. Maybe, maybe it's as, I, as you get a little older, maybe you get more appreciation for those things. I suppose that might have something to do with it. So if I want to go to heaven now, I probably really want to go to heaven another 10, 15, 20 years. So it's probably just going to get stronger. But the lists of heaven's perfections in my own definition, and when I think about heaven, those lists of heaven's perfections often miss the one element that makes heaven heaven. And his name is Jesus. You can have the most perfect place in the world with everything that you can imagine. But Jesus is not there, and that's called hell. You may never ask me back to preach after I say this, but I'm going to say it just to get the point across. It's, it's a joke, by the way, so just so we know. But um, a lot of Christians have that mentality of that country song that says, if heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, I don't want to go. Y'all know this? Y'all don't, don't, you don't have to say you know the song. You're supposed to know that song. But do you get the sentiment that we've got a picture in heaven of what, it's supposed to, what heaven's supposed to be like? And we say that's what we want. And nine times out of ten, 99 times out of 100, what we have in our mind is stuff, people that we like, things, free of pain. Are those things going to be there? Yes. If your mother was saved and knew Jesus, when you go to heaven, you will get to see mama again. Will you have some things? Jesus said he's going to have a mansion for us. Is everything going to be perfect? Revelation tells me he's going to wipe away my tears. He's going to take away pain. There's not even going to be any death. Death is abolished. We're not going to have any more funerals in heaven. We got all those things. But there's one thing that makes heaven heaven, and his name is Jesus. And if in your mind, the hope and the help that you have is not Jesus, first of all, you're not going to heaven. Let me just tell you right now, Jesus is what you need. But second of all, this world is going to be a terrible life to live in. Especially if you're going to try to be all moral and stuff. You're going to be moral, but you don't have Jesus as a sinner? What's wrong? That's going to be strange. If we want heaven, if we want to enjoy heaven now, right now, and you can. Do you know how you do that? You make the center of your life the same thing that's center of heaven. What is that? 
I already told you, his name's Jesus. He's the one that's going to tell you the mark. He's going to hold the mark for you. You're not going to fret and worry about it and try to figure it out. You're going to trust him for it. You're not going to sit around with your chest all puffed out. Hey, I'm a big deal. I'm important. I'm special. I am somebody. I'm better than everybody else. You're not going to have that kind of attitude. You're going to say, I am what I am by the grace of God because Jesus has made that for me. And you are going to, every chance you get, say, I've got something in my hand of value, but it's nothing to me. I'm going to give it to God because I'm going to follow him to the point of being able to deny myself because he is the center of my life. I promise you, based on the word of God, that if you do that, if you will bring your future, you'll bring your position, you'll bring your value and lay it at the feet of Jesus, you will enjoy a taste of heaven on earth. That's my invitation to you. Come and lay your future. Come and lay your position. Come and lay your possessions and your value at Jesus' feet. Would you do that today? I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to close with a word of prayer, and I will turn this over to your pastor to let him close as he sees fit. Father, I want to ask you, please, please take your word and convict these people. I want to ask you to take your word and comfort them. Some of them, I think, might, might have been hopeless as they came in here thinking, I just don't even know what to do next. But I pray, God, that you've given them an answer for that in, this, in your scripture tonight. There are some folks here that want to follow you, but have it twisted up. They have to do some big, great work or be somebody special. So they think, oh, well, I can't do anything for you, God. But help them to see that all that you want is all of them. I pray that you will help them to give themselves, give their value, give their position, and even give their, their future over to you. Help them to enjoy heaven here on earth. I'm asking this in Jesus' name.